We're in week two of a series called The Good Fight. The Good Fight. And uh, we're basing this series off a set of scriptures in First and Second Timothy, uh, where the Apostle Paul gives instructions to a young pastor named Timothy who's pastoring a church in the city of Ephesus. Um, and these instructions we'll get to in just a second. Uh, but let me go ahead and give you a bit of information in case I do forget. Uh, next Sunday, there will be no worship experience. Memorial Day weekend, we hope that you have a blessed weekend with family and friends. You might find it strange that we are not having a worship experience next weekend, but as a portable church, we take opportunities several times a year, uh, typically three times a year, to just honor our volunteers who serve so faithfully to make it possible for us to meet by setting up and tearing down everything that you see every week. So this is just our way of saying uh, that we want to honor and we're grateful to those who serve to make it possible. So next Sunday, there is no worship experience, and then we're going to pick up with week three of The Good Fight, the first Sunday in June. Uh, let's review this series, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 12, words of the Apostle Paul to young Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And those words ring true for us today, that we as believers in Jesus Christ are to fight the good fight of the faith. So today we're going to take it a step further and talk about what that good fight is and how we fight it. We're going to develop that more, but let's review from last week. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. The Apostle Paul says, this time to young Timothy in a second letter, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. He says, basically, not only should you fight the fight, but he says, I have fought the fight and I have no regrets in telling you to fight the fight because I have finished my fight. He knew that his time on the earth was coming to an end and he had fulfilled his purpose and his mission given by God here on the earth. And he says, it's worth it. It's worth it. The fight, the struggle, the battle, it's worth it in the end. There's a reward coming that far outweighs any trouble or struggle in this world. It's worth it. That's what we looked at last week. Today, we're going to talk about exactly what the fight is, what the struggle is. Um, here's the deal. We are in a battle. We're at war. Not just a country, not just the United States of America. We're not just at war, physically speaking, with other nations or groups throughout our world, but we're in a, war, in a battle, we're in a war every day. It's a spiritual battle. It's not a battle that uh, is between us and physical enemies. You may have enemies, you have, may have people that you dislike in this world. They may be family members, they may be co-workers, whoever your enemies may be. Your battle is not simply with them in this world. We have a spiritual enemy and we are at battle. We are at war. That's why it's so easy for us to look back on life and regret, regret things. Because if we don't fight the battle, we lose. And a lot of the battles are fought in our mind. A lot of the battles are fought in our heart. They're fought through faith. But there's a spiritual realm going on all around us. And there's a battle raging and we have to fight. The Apostle Paul is saying that we have to fight. We have to arm ourselves and we have to attack the enemy. We have to defend ourselves. We have to stand our ground. It's a constant battle being a Christian. Now, I know that living in the Bible Belt here in the South, we kind of view Christianity as kind of like a, a, a benefit to our lives, right? So being a Christian makes our lives better. And so we live our lives and we have this Christian thing that we add to it and it just makes our life better. 
But the truth is, once you become a Christian, you actually go to war. And there is, there is a target on your head from an enemy, a spiritual enemy. His name is Satan, the devil. He wants to devour you. 1 Peter 5, 8 says that we are to be sober and alert because our enemy, our adversary, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. He wants to see you fail. He wants to see you um, fall apart. He wants to see you walk away from the faith. He wants to see you give up. He wants to see you stop struggling and stop fighting. He wants to see you become ineffective for the kingdom of God. He wants you to be defeated. Although in Christ we have victory and every reason to have joy and peace in this world. And so today I want to talk to us about the battle that we fight. I want to talk to us about our biggest enemy. Now, I know that right now, specifically in our culture, some people may think that Target is our spiritual enemy, that politicians are our spiritual enemy, that groups of people are our spiritual enemy. And I know it's easy to look and say, our country is going to pots, and if we don't change things, uh, you know, there's no hope for the next generation. And may, we may look and say, we have to have certain politicians to change things. We've got to boycott certain organizations to have victory in this world. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Our struggle, our fight is not against a politician or a group of people or an organization. We need to take stands, perhaps, in our culture. We need to be good citizens of the land that we live in. And we need to stand for Jesus in the midst of our world and our families and our workplaces and our country. But that's not who our enemy is. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, it's not a group of people. Our enemy is spiritual. Our enemy is unseen. And here's the default mechanism to jump to when we think of our spiritual enemy is we want to say Satan is our spiritual enemy. And he is. He wants to destroy you. He wants you to live life defeated. But I want to propose to you this morning that your biggest spiritual enemy, the battle that you've got to fight in the most in this life isn't specifically against Satan, the devil. You know, you ever, you ever thought about Satan and just, no, he's just, he's just so evil. He's just so spooky. I just, I don't want to get around him because he might just, I don't know. I don't like the thought of being, he has no power over you if you're a Christian. Satan has been defeated. Satan is a ticking time bomb to be thrown into the lake of fire. Like, his time is coming to a close. He isn't some spooky, like, radical opponent that we have to, like, cower from and hide from and avoid. I mean, just at the name of Jesus, demons tremble, right? He isn't our biggest enemy. He's not hard to overcome. Though he poses threats. Our biggest spiritual enemy is our flesh. Can I, can I, little secret here, Satan cannot send you to hell. He can't do it. You know what can send you to hell? Sin. 
Sin can send you to hell. Sin separates you from Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sin. He didn't die on the cross to keep Satan from harming you. Satan's already doomed. He's defeated. He is a, he is a, a dead horse limping around, pretending, masking himself as this giant opponent. But sin, sin will get us every time. If we allow sin into our lives, if we allow ourselves to live according to the flesh instead of according to the spirit, then we will find ourselves living in defeat. It's a constant battle. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross daily. You must deny yourself and you must follow Jesus. It's a daily battle. It's a daily struggle not to allow your flesh to take precedence in your life, but to live according to us, the spirit. We're constantly having to say to ourselves, no, I'm not living for myself. I'm living for the glory of Christ. No, I'm not making decisions based on what's best for me. I'm making decisions based on what's my purpose in this life and what Jesus has called to. I'm going to learn to live according to God's word instead of living according to my desires. There's this war that battles. Have you ever just had a battle internally? where you've just fought and fought over something, you've, you've tossed back and forth different options. Listen, I, I don't know how it happens, but I promise every time that I, almost every time that I get ready to preach a sermon, it's like God teaches me a lesson that I have to preach to myself before I can preach to you. That lesson for me happened this morning. I came up here early. I was setting up, and there were some things that aren't even worth mentioning, but they just made me angry. I said, I'm going to tell people how I feel. I'm going to let them know this is not acceptable. I am not going to be treated this way. This isn't going to happen to me. And then I was like, you're in a battle. Don't let your flesh win. Don't allow yourself to become so enamored in the moment, in the struggle that you walk in defeat thinking that you're walking in victory. We like to bow our chest up and tell people how we feel, right? Sometimes that's the very flesh nature that Jesus died so that we could escape from. Here's the struggle. Let me, let me tell you how the Apostle Paul um, said it. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse number 15, the Apostle Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Now stop right there. Did you know that when you become a Christian, you don't stop sinning? I don't, I don't know if any of you have ever believed this myth, but if I become a Christian, I become perfect. That's not true. It's not true. When you become a Christian, you've been redeemed, you've been rescued. Jesus paid the price for your sin, but sin, sin still looms. The presence of sin is still with us. We're still in a fallen world. And we do still sin. John says, I believe it's in 1 John, that if anyone thinks he's without sin, he deceives himself. He lies to himself. You sin, I sin. We have to fight not to sin. We have to fight against our flesh so that we don't sin. The Apostle Paul is talking about the struggle here. Verse 18 I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. 
Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. It is possible for us to be rescued and redeemed from sin, but still give it permission to control our lives. So before we start like waving banners and boycotting organizations and slamming politicians and telling people how evil they are, we have to look ourselves in the mirror every day and we have to say, today you're dying. Today you aren't controlling me. Today I'm choosing to live according to the Spirit and not according to my flesh. I will walk in victory today. You're going down, right? You got to kind of, you got to fight this fight. You got to walk it out. It's an everyday thing. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you six ways to fight sin. Six ways to fight sin. Before I give you the six ways, I'm going to give you two scriptures, and then we're going to jump into the two ways that we should fight sin. These are the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Let me read it again. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. He's speaking to Christians in Rome, in the book of Romans. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. That's our charge. That's our battle cries, to put to death the deeds of the body. To kill the flesh. Not to allow it to control us. Because if it does, we will walk in defeat and death. But instead, there's available to us the opportunity to live by putting that to death. Here's how he says it in Colossians 3, 5. Essentially the same thing. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Put it to death. Kill the sin. Kill your flesh, man. Don't allow him to control you. This is your fight. Fight the good fight of the faith. Resist the enemy. Don't allow your flesh to control you. Because you'll never walk in the victory that God has made available to you. The freedom that he's made available to you. If you keep allowing your flesh to control you. It's an all out war. It's a battle. It's not easy. You're going to fall down. You're going to mess up. You've got to pick yourself back up. You've got to dust yourself off. You're going to say, not today. Not again. People have battled with addictions. People have battled with struggles for years and years and years. There comes a point in your life where you've got to kill that sin. You've got to stop allowing it to linger and to hang out around and to influence your life. And you just got to chop it off. You got to say, no more. Enough's enough. I'm choosing to live according to the Spirit. How do you do that? Here are six ways that you can kill sin. Take notes if you like. If you've got a phone with a note application, you can take notes there. If you've got something to write with, you can do that as well. It's going to be a lot. You ready? Here we go. Number one, identify your enemy. If you want to kill sin, you've got to identify the enemy. Specifically, you've got to know who you're fighting against. That's why terrorism is so difficult to defeat, is because it's difficult to identify. It's difficult to specifically target terrorists. That's why they keep popping up here and there. Because they... they live among us pretending to be something different and then all of a sudden they show themselves for who they really are. And if we allow sin to linger among us 
and entertain it as something that it's not, it'll defeat us. We've got to identify our enemy. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. You ever done something and just been like, where did that come from? I am so out of, where did that come from? It came from your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You ever said something, you're like, where did that come from? Out of the heart. Out of the heart, all these things come because our heart is a true reflection of what we've allowed into our lives. We've got to identify, we've got to get specific, we've got to say, look, that greed is causing me to look at my neighbor, my coworker, to want a truck like theirs. That's my enemy. I'm fighting you. You're not going to control me like that anymore. Right? That lust, that impurity, that, that lifestyle that wants you to live for popularity or recognition, that self-driven life that's all about you or all the decisions benefit you. You know, when you, when you cheat on your taxes, when you lie to your spouse, all that stuff, you know where it comes? It comes from the heart, and you've got to identify it. You've got to call it what it is. This is sin. I've identified it. I know who my enemy is now, and now I know who to fight. You can't just go out in the wild with a machine gun and start shooting around and just hope you kill an enemy. It doesn't work like that. You've got to know, that's my enemy. That's when they're going to come around. This is when they're going to attack me. I'm ready for it. It's not going to happen this time. I'm prepared. I know what to look for. I know the tendencies that I have to lean towards those temptations. See, that's all the enemy, that's all our spiritual enemy, Satan, can do. He tempts us with things. He tries to deceive us. He tries to lie to us. He puts things in our paths and makes them look really shiny. Like they'll be fulfilling and entertaining and worth chasing after. But they're just sin. They're just temptations. We have an opportunity as believers in Jesus to fight, to resist. And it starts with identifying it. So I'm going to give you some homework this week. What sins in your life are you prone to falling to? Identify them. If, you, if you're a journaler, write them down. If you're not, write them down. In a secret place on your phone, I don't know, put a passcode on it. Do something, but you've got to identify, these are my sins that I struggle with. This is, this is what defeats me in my life. And once I know specifically, I'm honest with myself, then I know who I'm fighting against. Identify the enemy. Number two, you got to dress for success. I'm not talking about a suit and tie. I'm talking about spiritually. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's read verse 12 again. Then we're going to go on to verse 13. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, since I have spiritual enemies, therefore... 
Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. This is your armor. This is how you defend yourself. Now, how do you put on the armor of God? Because mine's not hanging in my closet. I don't physically put it on every day. You put it on by faith through prayer. We need to memorize the scripture. We need to wake up every day and pray, Lord, I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm fitting my feet with the gospel of peace, my waist with the belt of truth. I'm taking up the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. I'm going to pray on all occasions. You know you can't defeat your flesh if you don't pray? Prayer is your gateway to defeating the enemy. And when you begin to pray the armor of God over yourself, then you're defending, you're protecting yourself. You're guarding against the most vital organs on your body. We're going to talk more about the armor of God in weeks to come. But today I simply wanted to say the the way you put the armor of God on is through prayer. Got to identify the enemy. You got to pray to dress for success. You got to defend yourself. Number three, you've got to use God's word. Use God's word. Psalm 119, 11. I have hidden your word in my heart, watch this, that I might not sin against you. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When you ingest God's word, when you store God's word in your heart, when you memorize scripture, when you read scripture, it's God's avenue, it's God's gateway to speak to you. And that allows us to live in victory because the word of God helps us resist our flesh. It's really hard to be studying God's word and at the same time be involved in vile sin. That's a, it's, it's diff- I'm not saying it can't be done, I don't know. Maybe you're a multitasker and that's a goal of yours. But if you're looking to resist sin, if you're reading God's word, if you're ingesting God's word, if you're quoting scripture, if you're bringing to mind scripture, it helps you to resist your flesh and the evil one. You know how this works? You start having anxious thoughts and fearful thoughts. If God's word's hidden in your heart, it comes to mind. God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Why am I allowing that to control me? When I hide God's word in my heart, when things come into my life, God's word comes out of my heart instead of the evil deeds of the body. You've got to read God's word. Here's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. 
God's word judges the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. It's like a mirror. When you look into God's word, it reveals the areas of your life that are flawed. It lets you see that your hair is messed up, that you got blemishes on your face. Because when you look at it, you're like, oh, my life doesn't look like that. And we've got to hide that in our heart because that judges even our thoughts and intents. We've got to identify the enemy. We've got to pray. We've got to read God's word. These are all simple things. You've heard these before. I'm just reminding you of things that you may have already known. Number four, and this is big. This is really big, is you've got to take responsibility. Take responsibility. And let me say this. The devil did not make you do it. The devil did not make you do it. The devil doesn't control you. You control you. You were in control of your thoughts. You're in control of your emotions. You're in control. He plays to those. He tries to deceive you. He tries to attack you. But if you sin, you can't say, the devil made me do it. You know who tried to do that? Way back in the very beginning. with Adam and Eve. They ate from the tree they weren't supposed to eat of. And when God confronted them, Adam said, hey, you gave me that woman and it's her fault. And she said, ah, the devil made me do it. And he didn't accept that answer. There were consequences that followed their actions. And we've got to learn to take responsibility. I had a conversation with my little six-year-old. It's been a couple of months ago. He did something. And I said to him, because I'm trying to teach him, like, instead of me just punishing you for doing something bad, why it's bad. Like, here's why you shouldn't do that. And then comes the punishment. So I'm asking him, why did you do that? I don't even remember what he did. You know what he said to me? The devil made me do it. So where did my son learn that the devil made him do something? I said, son, the devil did not make you do that. You did that. You made that decision. There might have been a temptation in front of you, but you decided to do what you did. And I want to say to us as a church, the devil didn't make us do it. Stop blaming other people or the devil for your shortcomings and your sins. You've got to take responsibility. You've got to say, you know what? I'm owning that I made this mistake. Part of that comes from confessing, asking for forgiveness. But when we start to say, I'm going to take responsibility for my actions. Our actions will change. Let me give you some scriptures. Philippians 2, 13. Words of the Apostle Paul again. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God works in you, not the devil. He works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. We will, we act according to God's purposes if we're living according to the Spirit. He gives us that strength. He gives us that guidance. But we can't say when we make mistakes, oh, that wasn't me. Someone made me do that. doesn't work. Here's, here's another one. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the sinful nature, we read this earlier, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body... You will live. 
So when we take responsibility for our own actions, we're basically saying, I'm identifying this area of my life where I allowed myself to make poor decisions, bad judgments. I allowed thoughts to become actions, and I'm owning that. That was me. That was on me. I allowed my flesh to beat me today. And when we take responsibility, our actions start changing. We're saying, no, nobody, I'm not a victim here. I'm not a victim of sin. I submitted to sin. This is idolatry. This is me saying, I'm going to choose not to worship God for a moment, and I'm going to worship my flesh. I'm going to choose to follow something else. When we take responsibility for that, then we're saying, no longer can I blame anyone else. This is on me. I've got to fight and resist this. Number five, know your role. Know your role. You can kind of put a sub point here. Stand in your victory. Know your role. You do not destroy sin. Jesus already did that. Your job is not to conquer, to defeat sin, to rid the earth of sin. Jesus already rid the earth of the power of sin over your life. He's already forgiven you for any sin you have committed, are committing, or will commit. Jesus died for that. You don't die for that. You get to live because Jesus died for that. But when you know your role, you stop trying to say, I'm going to destroy sin, and you start saying, I'm going to stand in victory. Instead of me saying, I in my own might and my own power can make this sin go away, I can take care of this, we say, no, I'm going to come over here and I'm going to stand in the victory that Jesus has already given me. Because he conquered that sin and I don't have to stay over here and hang out. That's what my flesh wants to do. But I'm going to walk in the Spirit and I'm going to stand in the victory. Let me give you some scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. You've already been saved from sin. It's by grace you have been sinned. Jesus took you while you were dead in your transgressions and sins, and he made you alive in Christ. And then we as alive, free people have a tendency to want to go back over here and kind of hang out in the dead areas again. Know your role. You don't belong here. You belong here, standing in the victory. You're alive in Jesus. It has no control over you except what you give it. Stand in the victory that Jesus has given you. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jews and for the Gentile. God's gospel has done for me what I can never do for myself. And since I'm not the great savior of the world that can conquer sin once and for all, I'm just going to serve the one who's already done that. I know my role. And I'm going to choose to stand in the victory that I've already received. I don't have to earn this victory. I don't have to prove myself to get this victory. If I've believed on Jesus, I can just stand in this victory. And there's moments that you've got to look at yourself in the mirror 
Even when you feel defeated, even when you've made mistakes, and you've got to just say, you are a child of God. You walk in victory. Sin has no power over you any longer. He gave everything so that you could receive life. And you just remind yourself, that's not me. This is me. And you know your role. And then number six, perhaps one of the most important, don't fight alone. Do not fight your flesh, the enemy, alone. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Did you know that you spurring on your brothers and sisters in Christ, you encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't just an instruction for God for you, but it helps them walk in freedom. And as you begin to spur someone on, you see someone in a difficult stretch, and you just go and say, hey, this isn't going to defeat you. You know, you're better than this in Christ. Jesus didn't die for you to have to live like this. There is something greater for you. And we begin to spur one another on. That's the role of the church. That's why we exist. We don't just come together once a week and say hello and then go out to our own separate lives. We exist to help one another. And you know, it's hard for someone to help you in an area that they don't know about. If I had endless resources, finances, and you needed some, and you never told me that you needed some, you couldn't really be mad at me for not giving you any. Because I didn't know you needed any. But if you came to me and you just said, hey, I need a little help. Then I know, then I can give you something. And the same thing's true in life. You've got to have some people in your life that you love, that you trust with your life that you can go to and you can say, look, man, I'm struggling. I've been facing these temptations. I've caved in these temptations. I allowed myself to go to this place. I did this. I said this. I watched that. I heard that. I'm not doing well in this area of my life. You're giving them permission to help you fight your battle. You can't fight it alone. You can try and try to defeat things on your own. But when you allow someone into your life, you invite someone else into your struggle, you're not just dumping bad things on them. You're inviting them. You're giving them permission to help you fight. Now, if, if someone you loved was getting attacked in front of you, if you just stood back and let them get attacked physically and beaten down in front of you, you wouldn't be a very good friend, would you? And I believe the best about our church and about our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is that when we disclose to people, I'm getting beat up, I'm not doing so good, that they're not going to stand back and just say, oh, man, you're just getting blasted. That's terrible. That's awful. They're not going to sit back and watch you 
they're going to find a way to step in and help you fight that. Here's one last verse. Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Sometimes you need some people in your life that will speak the truth to you, but they'll do it in love. You've had people speak the truth to you without love, and that doesn't go so well. But when someone loves you and they speak the truth, they say, you know what? What you're doing isn't right. They help you identify some enemies in your life, but they do it in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. It will mature us. It will make us more Christ-like. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You are a part of the body of Christ and you have something to offer that other parts of the body need. And if you'll do your part, and if you'll do your part, and if I'll do my part, and everyone does their part, then it will build us up into who Christ has called us to be. Conquering sin, conquering evil, becoming more godly, becoming more holy <clears throat> doesn't just happen automatically. We have to fight with everything that's within us to defeat our greatest enemy, which is who we look at in the mirror every day. It's that flesh side of us that wants us to live for ourselves and step outside of the purposes that God's called us to. Make the choice to fight the good fight of the faith. Resist the enemy. Resist the devil, and he will flee. You can live in victory. You don't have to live in defeat. I don't care if you struggled with it for a day or for a decade. You can live in victory if you'll just fight the good fight of the faith You'll just take hold of eternal life and understand the importance of fighting in such a way to live in victory. I want to end with this kind of caveat, this, this kind of asterisk, this disclaimer. Nothing we've talked about today works until you start a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can try to identify your enemies. You can try to prey on the spiritual armor. You can use God's word. I mean, you can, you can take responsibility for your actions. You can know your role and all the knowledge that you want to know. And you can even invite other people to help you fight things. But until you've received forgiveness from Jesus, from the sin that you're trying to defeat, until you've allowed him to pay the price for the sin, it won't work. You won't live in victory. When we choose to believe on Jesus, it gives us a platform to live in victory. Last scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 57. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up and victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He 
gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Every victory that we'll ever experience in life will go through the cross. Every moment of deliverance and salvation will go through the cross. We might lose some battles here and there, but we'll never lose a war if we go through the cross. Now, I just want to simply ask this morning if there's anyone here today that would say, I have never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I see today that I'm living a defeated life because I haven't allowed Jesus to pay the price for my sins. Don't be mistaken, we all sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you're here today and you say, today I'd like to start a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to say a prayer. If you pray this in your heart, you believe this, you mean this in your heart, then I believe today that Jesus will make you a new creation. So if that's you, just pray this with me. Let's all bow our heads. Just say in your heart, say, Lord Jesus... I surrender my life to you. I receive the gift of salvation that you paid for on the cross when you died for my sins. And I stand victorious in you. Make me new. Forgive all my sins. I commit to living for you for all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen.